Thank you, Brian, for reading our scripture lesson this morning. Remind us that beautiful passage we all know by heart. As we uh, prepare to go into God's word, just want to say a word of thanks to our worship band. They always do a great job, and thank you for leading us in our worship. And awesome. <clears throat> and for each of us here, let us be open to God's spirit as we worship in this place. We know that he's here. We've sung to him. Now let us hear his spirit speaking to us with the power of his word. Let us center ourselves, I ask you, in a moment of prayer together. Let's pray. God, as we come to this moment in our time together where we read your word and we seek its meaning for our life, we ask that your Holy Spirit open our minds, open our hearts, our ears <clears throat> to hear. We pray that we would open our lives to the work of your Holy Spirit within us, that you speak to where we need to be spoken to, that your touch upon our life can make us whole and new again. So God, I, I pray that you enable me to speak your words that bring glory only to you, that draw us all together closer to you. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're actually um, continuing in a series of sermons that we began last week. <clears throat> Maybe some of you weren't here, it's so cold, but it's good to see you here today. Uh, but last week we began a series of sermons dealing with lessons in the wilderness. Now when you hear that word wilderness, what comes to your mind? Well, for some people, it reminds them they get this image of a desolate place or like a desert or something or, um, or a remote place where there's danger and mystery. For other people, it um, brings up a time in their life when they went through something very difficult, grief or loss of a loved one, tragedy, and that was for them a wilderness moment or a wilderness journey. And the truth is, both of these meanings are captured in the Bible when it talks about wilderness. Uh, yet in both of these cases, uh, when it talks about wilderness, wilderness in the Bible is always an opportunity for us to draw closer to God. It always presents an opportunity for us to learn how to trust God more with our lives and to see how God is at work in our lives. The great theologian Thomas Merton said this about the wilderness. He said, the desert was the region in which the chosen people wandered for 40 years, cared for God by God alone. They could have reached the promised land in a few months if they traveled directly to it. But God's plan was that they should learn to love him in the wilderness. They should always look back upon that time in the desert as an idyllic time in their life with him alone. You know, the 23rd Psalm is one of those... Psalms that just brings great comfort to us when we're going through wilderness moments of life. It's one that I often quote when I find myself in uncertain moments in life. And it's one that I often pray with or, or read to people who are going through uh, times of loss or grief or facing death or even surgery. It just, it's, a, it's a psalm that just brings comfort to us. And I think one of the reasons that it brings us such comfort is that it acknowledges our reality. In the writer of the psalm, in the passage, the verse that was just read to you, he, he doesn't say that we can go over the valley of life. He doesn't say that we can go around the valley. He says that when you go through the valley, God will be with you. God will comfort you. God will walk with us through the valleys. And this is true of all the experiences that we have that we call wilderness experiences in our lives. But I think that's never more true than when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The truth is, each one of us, each of us here, all of us, are going to walk through that valley at some point in our life, whether it's with a loved one or it's with our own journey of life. 
Today, we're going to try to address that a little bit, and that wilderness of how God comes alongside of us in this wilderness moment that we know is the valley of the shadow of death. Each week, we've been uh, looking at the wilderness experiences of some biblical characters we find in the Old, Test- Old Testament in hopes that maybe we can learn from their journey or wilderness experience something of how to cope with our own wilderness experiences in life. And today we're going to be looking at the story of Ruth and Naomi. Now, this is the eighth book in the Old Testament, but if you're just thumbing through the Old Testament, you might miss it, because it's only four chapters long. And yet it is a powerful little book that I hope that you'll take the time this week to read. I've provided a study guide for you where you can, over this week, read the entire four chapters. It's really a great book, and it's got so many beautiful aspects in this story. But today we're going to focus on what Ruth and Naomi have to teach us about how we walk through this valley we know is the shadow of death. Our story begins with Naomi and her husband, Elimelech. And they're living together in Bethlehem with their two sons, uh, Melhon and Chilion. Interesting names for boys, but uh, that's what they're named. And um, they're living in Bethlehem, but then because of a drought that occurs in the land, they have to relocate to Moab. And while they're living in Moab, the two sons end up marrying Moabite women. Now, today we wouldn't think anything of that, but if you've read the first seven books of the Old Testament before you get to Ruth, uh, you know that uh, the Moabites are considered to be the hated enemies of the Israelites. And if there was an immigration policy for the Israelites back then, the Moabites would have been at the top of the list as the undesirables to, to deal with. I mean, they hated these folks. They're always warring with them. But you see in this story how God has this way of bringing people together and using them for his glory in spite of their differences. It's a beautiful story. In the first five verses of chapter 1, you see how this family that is, has everything going for them, they're blessed, their uh, life is great, uh, they're living peaceably together, and then suddenly everything changes. Their whole world turns upside down as they found themselves truly living in a wilderness moment. After moving to Moab and seeing her sons marry, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, dies. And thank goodness she had her two sons there and their families who could take care of her. But then 10 years later, both of her sons die, leaving Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws now as widows. I mean, it's bad enough to have to deal with the death of your spouse. But now Naomi has to deal with the grief of losing both of her children. I mean, I just can't imagine any darker, more difficult wilderness than the loss of a child. Some of you have experienced the loss of a spouse. Some of you have actually experienced the loss of a child. So you know the depth of the burden that Naomi's having to, to bear here and, and what they're having to go through. It, it's just an unimaginable experience. And when something like that happens in your life, you desperately search for something to hold on to, something to turn to to find help, to make it through those experiences. And surely uh, Ruth and Naomi were experiencing these emotions too. And there had to be at some point that they cried out to God in their disbelief over this, you know, where are you, God? Why did you let this happen to us? What do I have to hold on to now? Maybe you can relate to the story of Ruth and Naomi. Times when your whole world has turned upside down in an instance, and you're left stunned with what to do next. Where do I turn to? Where do I go? Well, Naomi decides that she's going to go back home to what is familiar. 
And I think that's often a response that we have when life gets difficult. We just want to go back to the way things were, something familiar. She says to her daughter-in-laws, you need to go back home too. I mean, you need to go back with your families where they can take care of you and provide for you, and somehow we'll just all figure out how to start over all again. And what you need to recognize is that this was a really difficult position that these women were put in in that day and time. In that day and time, women could not own property. In fact, for most practical purposes, they were considered to be property themselves. And without having a husband or a male uh, relative to claim them, to take care of them, they truly were left out in the street (laughs) uh, to fend on their own. And Naomi realizes this, and so she plans to go back to her homeland and Uh, she was encouraging her daughter-in-laws to do the same, and they were arguing with her. And at one point she says, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, and go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. And even if I thought there was a hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you wait then until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It has been far more bitter for me than for you because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. She's actually feeling like God has turned against her. And who wouldn't feel that way after all that's happened to her? She realizes that her daughter-in-laws would have much better chance of survival if they would go back to their homeland and get up with their families and they could provide for them and take care of them. And so she tries to convince them of this and eventually... Uh, one of the daughter-in-laws, Orpha, agrees to do so. But Ruth, Ruth says, no, I will not leave you alone. And in one of the most beautiful and powerful passages of faithfulness and loyalty, you find in this book Ruth saying to her mother-in-law, Naomi, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus, and so to me, and more as well, even if death parts me from you. So realizing that Ruth was not going to leave her, they link arms, and they begin to walk together into the unknown of their future. A lot has happened in this first chapter. It's just so much is going on here. But one of the things I think we can all relate to in this chapter is that question that always seems to surface when we're going through those wilderness moments of life. When you've lost the most precious people in your life, when you have a loss of a relationship, whether it's through divorce or through, it's through death or you lose a job or something that's very important to you, the question always rises within you what do I do now where do I turn who do I turn to for help it's really interesting in this little book you're going to find this word that you hear over and over again Uh, it is the word turn you hear derivatives of it throughout the entire book you hear words like turn or return or turn back and What this, I think, points out to us is that in those moments when we're going through the wilderness times of our life, especially dealing with grief and the loss of loved ones in some way, that you will turn. There's going to be those moments when you turn to God. 
There's going to be those moments when you turn away from God. You will turn to each other. You will turn to people that you have not even known before. When you're going through those difficult moments of life, you will turn and turn, which is exactly what we see happening here in the story of Ruth and Naomi. Um, Ruth and Naomi, they turn to each other. And together they find the comfort and the support that they need. You know, it would have been a whole lot easier, a whole lot uh, safer if Ruth would have just gone on home with her parents and let them take care of her. But she realizes that Naomi needs her. The truth is, she needed Naomi too. How blessed we are when in the midst of our wilderness moments of life we can find those people that we can turn to that offer comfort and they come alongside of us and, and help us through whatever we're experiencing and when it comes to coming alongside of us in those times when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, I think there's no one who can offer more help to us in those moments than someone who's been down that journey, someone who's experienced this kind of loss that we're dealing with. And as a pastor, I try to offer what I can in help to people who are going through grief and loss. I mean, I have um, studied. I know what to do. I know all about grief and loss. I, I uh, have walked with many people over my ministry that have experienced loss. I've experienced loss in my own family. But the truth is, I've never experienced the loss of a child. I've never experienced the loss of a spouse. And so when I encounter those moments, I recognize that there's no one who can help in that situation any more so than one who has experienced that. When they come alongside of a person who's going through that moment, they're able to offer wisdom and and compassion like no one else can. There's just no substitute for that. And some of you have been that for one another. And when I see that happening, it's it's just a beautiful thing to behold. Henry Nouwen calls such people wounded healers. It's a way that God can use our own pain to help others who are going through such moments of pain. What we find in doing that is we too are helped. We benefit from that. And that's what happens, I think, when people come together in things like grief or support groups. You know, today there's a support group for any circumstance you find yourself in in life, basically. But uh, and when it comes to walking through the uh, shadow of, of death, uh, people come together in support groups because it's there they find healing. And they find comfort. We find that in any wilderness moment of life, when we come and we turn toward each other, we discover we're not alone. When it comes to facing the valley of the shadow of death among us here, we actually have two support groups in our church that offer this kind of turning to one another. It's a grief support group and a widows and widowers uh, support group. Because we recognize that when people are going through those moments in their life, they're dealing with a lot of issues that are not normal. It's not, a, it's not either ordinary. They're normal, but I mean, it's, it's different what you'd experience any other time in life. And you need to come together with people who are, have walked down that road and have that wisdom and compassion. And we find issues that people deal with in the midst of losing such as a spouse. There's shock and denial. There's guilt. There's inability to concentrate. There's obsessive thoughts that dominate your conscience. There's memory loss and hallucinations and physical problems, exhaustion, tension, overwhelming loneliness, Full of energy, then no energy. There's headaches, there's sleep issues, there's nightmares, and on and on it goes. And these are the kind of issues that are dealt with every time our group, grief support and widow and widowers group meet and other support groups come together. Our deacon, uh, Chris Roberts, here has done a wonderful job of giving leadership to that, and she has the help of others as well. But our grief group meets on the second and fourth 
Wednesday evenings at 6.30. We have a widows and widowers group that meets on the fourth Mondays of each month at 10 a.m. in the morning. And, you know, it's just a beautiful thing watching them come together. It's open to anyone in the community. It's free of charge. So if you or someone you know is struggling with this wilderness moment in their life, I would encourage you to, to encourage them to come and to be a part of that. There's great support here for that. By turning to each other, we find that we don't have to face that moment or that journey alone. We have the help of each other. Just as Ruth and Naomi turned to each other and they found the comfort and support to make it through what they were going through, I believe God has called us to be that for one another. Um, in the writer of Ecclesiastes, he says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift the other up. But woe to the one who is alone and falls and does not have another to help. I don't think most of us realize just how vulnerable we are when we encounter those wildernesses of loss. I read some interesting statistics this week about this, and particularly when it comes to the loss of a spouse or death. Uh, It says the chance of having a heart attack increases 21% within the first day after such a loss. And then it falls to 6% higher than everybody else during that first year. There's a 41% increase in mortality within the first six months after a loss of a spouse. Regardless, it doesn't matter how old the spouse was, young or old. There's a 41% in mortality. Um, after the loss of a child, parents are twice as likely to die within the first 15 years than those who have not lost a child. Many of these deaths, of course, are attributed to alcohol and drug abuse, which is one of the places some people turn to find and cope with that pain. 12% of couples divorce within the first six months of the death of a child. So these statistics just point out the obvious. The reality is that we are very vulnerable during those times of loss and grief. In addition to being vulnerable uh, physically and emotionally, we're also spiritually vulnerable. Part of the natural process of grieving is that you encounter disbelief and, and anger. And sometimes the anger that we feel is directed at God. Why, God, did you let this happen? How could this happen? How, how could you let this be? Where are you, oh God? We see this actually happen to Naomi in our, uh, our story. Uh, when the death of her two sons occurred. You see how she felt God had turned against her. Then later on, when she goes back home to Bethlehem, uh, she actually has this moment where she expresses her anger to God and everybody else around her. And she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. And her name Naomi actually meant pleasant. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Just call me Mara, which means bitter. That's God has turned against me. I went away full, but the Lord has returned me empty. Have you ever felt that way? You know, when you're in the midst of the wilderness, it's only natural to feel anger toward the unfairness of life. And when life is not fair and you can't seem to fix it, you begin to grapple with that question that plagues us all. Why? Why? And when you can't find anybody else to blame, you tend to blame God. The truth is, God's a big guy. He can handle our anger and our pain. 
If you read the Psalms, you see this happening throughout the Psalms where people are expressing their anger, their frustration at God, and God's big enough to deal with that. In fact, God knows what it's like to experience the loss of a child to evil circumstances. So he understands our pain. But the danger is for us not to get stuck there, not to stay too long at that stage of our grief. Uh, Some people never get out of that stage. And so they become like Naomi was at this moment. They stay angry at God, angry at everybody else around them. They cut themselves off from the resources that they need in order to find healing. You know, there are stages of grief. I think most of us have heard of this. Uh, all of us go through these stages in different ways. I mean, I mean, you don't go through them linear. I mean, there's, you go through one, you go through another, all different places and different times. Everybody deals with it in a different way. There is the uh, shock and denial of what has happened to you. There's pain. There's guilt. There's anger that often gets into a bargaining stage that we do with God and everything else. You experience depression. You're reflecting upon what's happened. You're feeling deep loneliness. Then there's hopefully that upward turn where you get to acceptance of what's happened, and you try to work through that, ultimately getting to that stage of hope. And we all go through this in one way or another. So in our spiritual lives, when we're working through those stages of grief, there has to come a point where we recognize that God is not our enemy or the cause of what we've experienced. There has to come a point when we realize that God loves us and that God is really the only source of strength that we can turn to that's going to see us through that. There has to come a point where we begin to trust and entrust our circumstances to God, realizing that he can, he can redeem this somehow and he can bring something about good if we just hold on to him. And that's what actually happened to Naomi. Um, eventually, Naomi turns back to God, and she uh, realizes that God was not forsaking her and hadn't caused these things to happen. In, the, in chapter, two, I mean, chapter 2, verse 20, she says, Blessed be he by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Have you ever been in the midst of a wilderness moment in your life? Fallen to your knees and cried out to God, Oh God, help me. There's nowhere else I can turn but to you. Have you ever had that moment when what you knew about God in your head became real to you as you turned to God and you embraced the gospel message that you need a Savior? You can't do this on your own. That's the biggest and the greatest turn that you will ever make in your life. And really, that's the only way that you can move past the wilderness of despair to a life of hope. Ruth and Naomi end up meeting a man called Boaz. And Ruth and Boaz, they kind of work it around. They uh, use some... uh, ingenuity there, but they work around where Ruth and Boaz become married. And eventually they they produce a child, and they name him Obed. And when this happens, the women in Bethlehem come to Naomi and they speak these words. They say, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without the next of kin. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne a son. But that's not the best part of the story. <laughs> it gets even better. If you read on further in the story, you find out that Obed becomes the father of Jesse. 
who becomes the father of a little shepherd boy named David. When you read the genealogy story of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel, you find that Ruth is one of the only four women that's mentioned in Jesus' genealogy. (laughs) Only God could take a story of such grief and profound tragedy and heartache and do something so amazing with it as it becoming the way that his son and our Savior Jesus Christ was born. It's a beautiful story of how God can redeem our suffering. Over the years, I've worked with many people who have dealt with the loss of loved ones, um, and I've been with some who have lost their child. And again, as I said, I can't imagine there being any more difficult wilderness journey than the loss of a child. But I've watched as those parents who experienced that, some working through those stages of grief, they, they get stuck at one of those stages, and they end up turning away from God and turning away from all the resources. They get angry at God. They get angry at everybody and life in general, and they never find that path beyond grief that leads to life and hope. It's tragic. But I also have watched as parents have taken those unbelievably painful moments in their life, and they've turned to God, And I've seen some remarkable stories of redemption take place. I have seen how uh, people have dedicated themselves to helping other parents go through that tragedy. I have seen how people have, uh, you know, worked really hard to uh, fight against injustices that cause the death of their child. I have seen how others have established foundations and organizations and movements that ended up helping many other people. I mean, God can do amazing things when we take our wilderness moments and entrust those times to him. He can take the, the, the worst nightmare of your life and he can bend it and shape it and use it, redeeming it in a way that you can't even imagine. The truth is, every one of us here is going to walk through this valley of the shadow of death at some point. And when you do, I hope that you remember these three things we talked about this morning. First of all, remember, you're not alone. When you walk through such wilderness moments in your life, there is always going to be somebody there. There are going to be people there you can turn to, that can come alongside of you, that are reaching out to you to help you through those moments. If you look hard enough, you can actually see footsteps ahead of you of people who have walked down that same path, who've been there. If you will listen to their their wisdom and their compassion and their leading, leading you, you will find your way through that. Secondly, Recognize just how vulnerable you really are in those moments. And turn, take care of yourself. Turn to people that can help you in those times. God never intended for us to make these journeys on our own. And finally, remember that the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. It never ends. And this is the the thing we have to hold on to. When you're in those wilderness moments, if you'll turn to God, you will find that God's presence will be made known to you. God will lift you out of that bottomless pit of despair. If you hold on to God in those moments with white knuckles, even though you can't see it, you don't feel it, you still hold on to God, there will be a new dawn that will emerge in your life. You will find joy again at some point. And there will come a day when you're able to sing that great song of hope I think we're going to close with this morning. It is well with my soul. This is the lesson I think we learn from Ruth and Naomi's wilderness. Let's pray together. Our gracious God, 
we just um, acknowledge to you that we sometimes find ourselves in the wilderness of grief and loss. Our hearts break in those moments. God, I just pray that you would help us to realize we are never alone. May you help us to be there for others who are going through such moments. To be there as as stretcher bearers, as um, people who are wounded healers helping others. Help us, God, to have that courage when we find our own selves in those moments to reach out to others who can walk alongside of us. And for those who are walking through one of those moments right now, God, in this place, that valley of the shadow of death, I just pray that you would help them to turn to you, not to turn away from you, but to turn to you. May you surround them with your Holy Spirit, comfort, assurance of your Son, Jesus Christ, who gives us the gift of eternal life to all who place our trust in you. God, we make this our prayer in the name of Jesus. Amen.